Amen. Amen to that song. The psalmist says in Psalm 145 that the Lord, our Lord, is great and greatly to be praised and that his greatness is unsearchable, to which we can all say amen. Good morning, Redeemer. Uh, my name is Chad. I am a deacon here and it is my privilege to bring you the word of the Lord today. I hope and trust that everyone had a very, uh, as the Brits would say, happy Christmas. Uh, we come today uh, on this last Sunday of 2019 to the uh, conclusion of our Advent series in John chapter 1. We are now after December the 25th, but by ancient reckoning, we're just on the fifth day of Christmas, five golden rings, that's right. And so if you've taken the tree down, you are doing it wrong. So we keep celebrating and rejoicing in Christ our Savior for yet another week. And you can keep saying Merry Christmas uh, all the way through the 6th. Uh, nevertheless, here we are at, at our final Sunday gathering of 2019, facing the heart of winter, indeed, on the eve of a new year, even the beginning, if you haven't thought about it yet, of a new decade, which is unbelievable. The 20s. Again, here we go. And we are doing exactly what we should be doing, which is we're looking to God and His Word. And we're looking to Christ and His Gospel this morning. So I invite you today to turn in your Bibles to uh, the Gospel of John and to stand today for the reading of God's Word. John chapter 1, verses 35 through 51. Yes, a long reading. The Holy Spirit, speaking through the Gospel of John, says, verse 35, The next day again, John was standing with two of his disciples. And he looked at Jesus as he walked by and said, Behold, the Lamb of God. The two disciples heard him say this, and they followed Jesus. Jesus turned and saw them following him, following, and said to them, What are you seeking? And they said to him, Rabbi, which means teacher. Where are you staying? He said to them, Come and you will see. So they came and saw where he was staying. And they stayed with him that day, for it was about the tenth hour. One of the two brothers who heard John speak and followed Jesus was Andrew, Simon Peter's brother. He first found his own brother Simon and said to him, We have found the Messiah, which means Christ. He brought him to Jesus. Jesus looked at him and said, you are Simon, the son of John. You shall be called Cephas, which means Peter. The next day, Jesus decided to go to Galilee. He found Philip and said to him, follow me. Now Philip was from Bethsaida, the city of Andrew and Peter. Philip found Nathanael and said to him, we have found him of whom Moses in the law and also the prophets wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. Nathanael said to him, can anything good come out of Nazareth? And Philip said to him, come and see. Jesus saw Nathanael coming toward him and said of him, behold, an Israelite indeed in whom there is no deceit. And Nathanael said to him, how do you know me? And Jesus answered him, before Philip called you when you were under the fig tree, I saw you. And Nathanael answered him, Rabbi, you are the son of God. You are the king of Israel. Jesus answered him, Because I said to you, I saw you under the fig tree, do you believe? 
you will see greater things than these. And he said to him, truly, truly, I say to you, you will see heaven opened and the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. This is the word of the Lord. Let us pray. Father in heaven, we thank you for the scriptures, the word of truth, and we thank you for Christ, the word who is our God. Christ is the light and he is our life. Lord, so we pray that you would open our eyes today as we look to Jesus. May he light uh, the way of every one of us here today as we unpack your word. To your glory, in Christ's name, amen. At the heart of this passage is a good old English word that we don't use very much anymore, like a lot of good old English words preserved through the King James and the American Standard and the ESV. And the word here, uh, it's the kind of word that has a gravitas worthy of its subject. The word, verse 36, uh, repeated from previous section, behold. It would be pretentious if we use this word in uh, any other setting in our over-casualized uh, culture. Uh, they could have just translated as, look. Uh, or uh, one could translate it into redneck edition of the Bible, something like, hey, would you look at that? I jest. But the translators of the ESV are right, I think, to preserve the word here, behold, a word that we really don't use in anything but Christmas songs and Bible readings. It means, of course, to look, but more than a command, it's an invitation. You're invited to look, but more than just an invitation, it implies a value that, that you are called, you're invited to look at something worth looking at. Someone is drawing your attention to something that, uh, that, you need, that you ought to take heed, that you should pause and consider, stop and stare. It's like a billboard with big, bold letters inviting you, right, on your great journey uh, across the American heartland, not to see something tacky like the world's biggest ball of string, but inviting you to take the next exit and to see the Grand Canyon in all of its glorious beauty. Behold something worth seeing, something you need to see, something you must slow down to see, and in seeing, be changed forever. John the Baptist is the one here in John 1 that points to Jesus with that word first in verse 29. The next day, John saw Jesus toward him, see verse 29, and said, behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. John the Baptist's whole ministry was to point to the light as John 1 talks about, that he was the light, that's Jesus, the word, was the light, and uh, as the light was the life of men, and God sent someone, a witness, who wasn't the light, but to bear witness to the light. And John here is simply doing that. He is casting his disciples, his own followers, direction on Jesus and say, look, this is the one who I've said is coming. And that's what he's doing here in today's text. And John uh, 136, he says it again. This time, he's apparently standing with just two of his disciples. He sees Jesus again walking by. And John says loud enough so that the two disciples can hear him say it again Behold, look, the Lamb of God. And the scriptures state in beautiful brevity their response. The two disciples who heard him say this. 
The two disciples heard him say this, and they followed Jesus. The beholding produced the response of following. At first, the disciples had been disciples of John the Baptist. Now they become the disciples of the one to whom John was pointing. They start to follow Jesus, like, not like in a metaphoric sense, like Jesus walking down the road. They start following Jesus down the road. And Jesus turns and he looks at them and he asks them uh, uh, this question, confronts them. What are you seeking? Or what do you want? What is it that you're following me for? And they say kind of oddly, it may seem to us, Rabbi, which is a respectful term, literally straight from the Aramaic, translated by John, so that his audience, we would know that it means what it says here. It means teacher. And they say, where are you staying? Which I think in the English, in our, in, in, in our reading of the story, sounds a very weird thing. What do you want? And they say, well, where are you staying? It's odd. But it's important to note here a beautiful and very simple definition of what a disciple is, which we've talked a great deal about. Uh, this past year, uh, discipleship. A very basic and fundamental definition of a disciple is that a disciple is a learner, a student who submits to the instruction and quite literally following a teacher. And so what they're asking about is they want to be his disciple and they want to see where he stays and where the discipleship is going to happen. What's it look like to, to follow and be in the company of Jesus? So Jesus responds to their question by saying, verse 39, come and you will see. And it says, and so, verse 39, they came and saw where he was staying. I just, I love the brevity and the beauty of the gospel here. Follow, follow me, they follow him, come and see, and they come and they see, and they just see where Jesus is staying. But when Jesus says here to come and see, this is a fantastic example of the ways in which the gospel of John is truly magnificent. Because a regular and consistent image of John's gospel is light, as we saw in early parts of chapter one, the light, and the corollary of sight, the ability to see the light. It's going to come over and up again, over and over again in John's gospel. The light, which is Christ, and the ability to see that light, which is given by God. Remember John 1, 4, in him was life and the life was the light of men. And verse 14, and the word became flesh and dwelt among us and we have seen his glory. So it is that John uses similar image. He says, behold, or look, or see. And Jesus himself here says, come and see. But it's a dual meaning. It doesn't mean just come and see this place where I'm staying, but it's going to mean come and see. And what they're going to see is that Jesus is the light. That the one they just called rabbi and understand that they're kind of enrolling in his school, they're going to see things that they can't even yet imagine that Jesus is the light, the way, the truth, and the life. The word made flesh. And they're going to see it with their mind's eye. They're going to see it not with just their physical eyes, following Jesus down dusty roads of Galilee and, and staying uh, out in the uh, wilderness overnight. They're not just going to see those kinds of things, but in their heart, 
In their mind's eye, they're going to see things that blow their minds. I love the small detail provided here, verse 49, or verse, that's not right, verse 39. I love this. It simply says, it was about the 10th hour. This chapter, John 1, started cosmically, like In the beginning was the Word. We're taken outside of time into eternity where the Word is with the Father in eternity, fully present, uh, the second person of the Trinity dwelling uh, forever in communion with the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. And now in verse 39, we've moved to a specific day, a specific place at a specific hour of the day where two guys meet Jesus of Nazareth and they don't yet know that he is who he, the scriptures say he is in verse one. It's the little details that make the story concrete. These two disciples will become two of the 12 apostles, eyewitnesses of the word made flesh, who remember of this conversation, yeah, it happened about four o'clock in the afternoon that day. That's incredible. The invitation to behold isn't just for them, but it's for us. John wrote this gospel for the church, for you and me. And when Jesus is saying, come and see, we're to hear those words speak out to us right now to say, you are invited to come and see. And there's something very important here to grasp about faith, about sharing the faith, about gospelizing, about evangelism, and about discipleship. And that is faith is a kind of seeing. Faith is a kind of sight. We are simply to look, to direct our gaze, to lift our eyes to see Jesus. We can and we often do make faith too hard. We erect barriers for ourselves. Nathan was talking about this a few minutes ago, beautifully leading us in worship. We erect barriers by focusing on how we think we should feel or or, uh, our own state of mind. But the gospel writer says here that whatever else faith is, it begins simply by looking on Jesus. Amen? And so, what unfolds in this passage is a chain of invitations, a cascading series of relationships that starts with John and goes all the way to Jesus' disciples. A chain of invitations to see something, and each person is changed by their seeing. Each person becomes a witness to what they see, inviting someone else to see what they now see. Has anyone here ever made a trip uh, to the mountains? Like big mountains, the Rockies, uh, the Grand Tetons just south of Yellowstone, Mount Rushmore, uh, or in the region, Smoky Mountains. (laughs) Go west, young man. And what are people doing there? There's tourists everywhere, and they're just looking at the mountains. They're just looking at these mountainsides, and they're, they're taking pictures, and their families are standing up there, and their whole family's taking pictures. And, and what is everybody doing? Everybody's just looking at something together. And people are doing what they normally feel embarrassed to do, which is stopping and staring and pointing and staring and doing things like that. And someone says, do you see that? And another person says, do you notice that over there? And it's just this endless And it's just one mountain in one little part of God's universe that draws that much awe and amazement. 
as people share what they're seeing. That's what's happening here. John the Baptist sees Jesus, says, behold. Two disciples look at Jesus, and Jesus says, come and see. So they go and see. Then Andrew invites his brother Simon, and he sees. Jesus calls Philip later on, and Philip invites Nathaniel, and he says to Nathaniel, you come and see. And the passage ends with Jesus saying, we'll see, you will see more. Biblical faith is a kind of sight that spreads like we did last uh, at, at our Christmas Eve service, from candle to candle, from one person to another who is given sight to see this thing. And the sight spreads from one to another as all, as, as one comes awake to see what is undeniably real and true. And the one at the center of this scene, the one there is Jesus. And the gospel, you see, is fundamentally an announcement about Jesus. Before it is anything else, it is not first a philosophy or a set of practices or a way of life, but it is first a proclamation of glorious reality of the truth. And the invitation that we see here today is to look at this reality and in the same way that you cannot deny what your eyes see, that when you come awake to this, you will see Jesus for who he is and what he has come to do. But we don't just look. This kind of seeing produces knowing. And this is exactly what begins to happen to these disciples uh, in, uh, uh, here. As they begin to see, they start to learn. They start to know certain things. And John uh, chapter 1, from verse 1 all the way to the end, just explodes and crackles with this glorious truth about who Jesus is. And we've already heard in the past week since Thanksgiving in our Advent series about Jesus as the Word who was with the Father from the beginning, that Jesus was the light and the life, that He was the Word uh, made flesh who dwelt among us. And now in this passage, in the verses that were given to me on the last Sunday of the month with the kids present, there are so many titles given to Jesus here that we have no time to go into any of them in great depth. Make your bets now. <laughs> Suffice it to list them here. Verse 41. They cry out. They just, they just recognize. They, they don't even know. You have to understand the disciples here are using phrases that they're like. They're like you know when your elementary students come home and they've learned some big word? Like they know the word but they don't understand it. But they feel so proud that they know the word. And so the disciples here are like that. They say, you're the Messiah. What's the Messiah? Well, Messiah is the word from the Old Testament we, call, we use the term Christ. It means the anointed one. In the Old Testament, prophets were anointed. Priests were anointed. And kings were anointed. And Jesus is the, the anointed one par excellence. The one who is prophet, priest, and king. Who will ultimately deliver God's people. Verse 49, he's the son of God. Verse 49 as well. This is astonishing to hear Nathaniel say this. You're the king of Israel. Jesus had simply said to him, hey, I, I saw you and under that tree. This incredible personal knowledge. And Nathaniel's blown away and says, you're the king of Israel. And of course, John the Baptist repeated phrase, the lamb of God. The lamb, the image that we get from Genesis 22 where Abraham is called to offer up Isaac and yet God provides a sacrifice. The Passover in the Exodus where God's people are called to sacrifice and to partake of a lamb 
on the night of the Exodus and the atonement in the Old Testament, but especially Isaiah 53, where the servant of the Lord is one who, Isaiah 53, verse 7, like a lamb that is led, led to the slaughter, who will be and bear the sin of many. The Lamb of God, which points to one direction, that the Word who became flesh became the Word so that He might be the Lamb and go to the cross and be lifted up and be crucified. Matthew 1, 21, she'll call His name Jesus for He will save His people from their sins. Seeing Jesus rightly results in knowing these things about Him. We don't make of Jesus whatever we wish to make of him. We must see him as he is in glorious truth. The gospel does result, we often say in Christian, especially evangelical circles, Christianity is not a religion, it's a relationship, and that's true. But it is first a truth that we see and that we know and we joyfully receive and which brings us into a relationship with the one that we know. Wow. There is so much here. One of the beautiful ways in which the gospel is ultimately personal and relational, note with me verse uh, uh, 48, where Jesus meets this Nathanael. Jesus saw Nathanael and said, behold an Israelite in whom there's no guile. He praises him. He acknowledges him as a man of integrity and character. And Nathanael's taken back. How do you know me? And Jesus shocks him. He says, before Philip called you, I saw you under the fig tree. It's an amazing way to be called to be a disciple. Jesus' words astonish Nathan. And here's this great truth. We're seeing and we're knowing. They were seeing and they were knowing. But before we saw and before we knew or know these things, we were known of him. The fact that we are here today is no accident, none at all. It is not by chance that you are here today hearing these words, being invited to come and to see. Before we ever looked upon Jesus, Jesus was looking for us. Before we ever knew anything about him, and however slow it, it, it was of a process for us to recognize Jesus, he knew us already. Amen? And when he called us, we could only respond by seeing and knowing. Jesus says, uh, and, and so Nathaniel, when, when he's invited, he says, Rabbi, you are the son of God. You are the king of Israel. Realizing that he was known by God results in him knowing these truths. And Jesus says, for this you believe? Jesus, had not, Jesus is not doing a little magic trick here for Nathaniel's sake. Jesus is no magician. Jesus is lovingly calling Nathaniel by saying, I knew you before you knew me. And Jesus says in the final verse uh, in our passage, oh, you will see much more than this. Truly, truly, I say to you, you will see heaven Opened and the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. This was a really odd thing. Jesus saying, You're going to see this. You're going to see heaven open. 
There are two major Old Testament references here very quickly. Jesus refers to Genesis 28 where Jacob wrestles with, where Jacob uh, uh, sees God in a dream and on a ladder from heaven to earth. And he sees the Lord at the top of that ladder. And he sees angels coming up and down. And when Jacob wakes up, he calls the place Bethel or the house of God. And he says, behold, I've seen God and lived. And the other passage is Daniel 7. Jesus says, you will see the Son of Man. In Daniel 7, Daniel also has a vision of a Son of Man who is given a kingdom that will last forever. What we're getting here are examples of verse 45, where they said, we have found the one, him of whom Moses and the prophets wrote. That all these things in the Old Testament, Isaiah, Genesis, Daniel, point to Jesus. And the great truth here, putting all of this together, is that Jesus is both the Lamb of God and the glorious Son of Man. The one who wins an eternal kingdom and uh, who wins an eternal kingdom and reconciles heaven and earth by being lifted up on a cross to bear the sins of the world. This is what they will see. Jesus says, you will see more. And they would see more. They would see Jesus transfigured on a mount. They would see Jesus break loaves and, and multiply fishes. They would see Jesus lifted up on a cross buried and they would become witnesses that he rose again from the dead and they would become witnesses that he ascended into heaven and took up the throne at the father's right hand in response to the disciples response Jesus is saying to them and saying to us keep looking you will see more disciples which we are are to keep looking John John Owen said one of my favorite quotes about the Christian life, about spiritual warfare. He said, be killing sin or sin will be killing you. It's kind of a notion of battle. But the the other part of sanctification is also that either you will regularly be looking upon Jesus or you will regularly be looking on other things. So fill your vision with Jesus. As we close today, we must acknowledge that we will never move past the gospel. We will ever be looking upon it now and forever, upon the one who was crucified, who was buried, who was resurrected and ascended, and we will forever see more of him. And we will be known of him, and we will know him, and our faith will one day become sight. Amen? As C.S. Lewis wrote, and every chapter thereafter was better than the one before. That's my paraphrase. Amen. So we come today to the Lord's Supper, and it is fitting now to come to the table of the Lord. This beholding, looking on Jesus, it produces the response required of the gospel. Faith and worship. And the Lord's table is our place of weekly gathering and worship. This is a meal reserved for believers who have seen and tasted and received the truth of God in Christ. Believers, as you come, take off a piece of the bread and dip it in the cup and look and see and consider Christ. Wine and grape juice are both provided to take as your conscience allows. If you are not a believer today, 
Even if you've sat under many, many, many sermons here, yet not lifting your eyes. The invitation is to come and see, to consider him the word of God who became the lamb of God to take away the sins of the world. And in the words of that hymn, hast thou heard him, seen him, known him, to hear of him, to see him, and to know him. Amen? There are pastors and prayer responders in the back waiting to pray with anyone uh, seeking prayer and counsel. Let us pray. Father, we thank you for Christ our Lord. May you fill our vision with Jesus and his glories and by his light see everything else. And we praise you now and forever. In Christ's name, amen.